church. Good morning. Good morning. Why don't you go ahead and have a seat? Man, that's probably my favorite Christmas song of all times. I love that song. A thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. I knew we'd be doing that song today. I want to start off this morning. I want to ask you a very direct question. And the question is this. Are you weary this morning? You may be weary from just the activity that, uh, that you're involved in this time of year is so busy. You may just be weary in your spirit. I don't know. There may be all kinds of things that are going on that could bring weariness into a person's life. He says, a weary world rejoices. Here's what I want to invite you to do this morning as we dig into God's word. Come to Jesus. Amen. Amen? Come to Jesus. I want to shepherd you this morning to our good shepherd. I want to lead you this morning to the still waters. I want to lead you to the green pastures of where our good shepherd is. And so I'm so thankful that you are here with us this morning. We're in the home stretch of our, of our series called Stand Firm. And, and uh, missed you last week. It was, it was great to take a little bit of a break with my family. Uh, we have an incredible staff and pastors who, uh, Jamie did a great, uh, awesome job teaching God's word last week. And, uh, and I gave him a tough passage. I gave him a, he said, what's up with the, the youth pastor getting the passage on suffering? And I said, well, I'm just trying to teach you how to suffer a little bit as you get ready, okay? But uh, he did an awesome job. We're in this series called Stand Firm, and we're in the home stretch of wrapping up this great little letter that Peter wrote to a group of believers who, listen, no doubt were weary. They were very weary uh, by the things that they were facing and the troubles and the persecutions that were coming upon them. And they were probably, many of them, at a place where they were, they were so tired of, of the things that they were facing. They were ready to maybe throw in the towel. They were maybe at a place where they were going to waver a little bit in their faith and perhaps walk away. And I don't know what you may be facing this morning, but you might be in a, a place where maybe you're ready to give up. Maybe you're in a place where you're kind of thinking you may walk away from whatever it is that you're, that you're struggling with. And just as Peter was writing to these believers to stand firm in your faith, I want to just encourage you this morning to stand firm. I want to encourage you not to walk away, but to, but to face whatever it is with the strength of God. Stand firm in your faith. And you've heard us say in this series that the true test of your faith is not how strong your faith is when everything is going your way. Or whenever all the pieces kind of come together perfectly and the true test of your, te of your faith is whenever things seem to not be working out and that is whenever we begin to discover a little bit about our spiritual maturity. That, that's when we begin to discover if we've grown maybe since last year because the reality that we all know is that life can be really hard and when you face difficulties, what is your response? What does it look like whenever some of the challenges come into your life? And the reason that this letter of 1 Peter resonates with so many of us is because we all go through difficulties. We live in a world that's broken, it's messed up, there's suffering in this world. We all know that life can be really hard, amen, right? And you can go through some real challenges, and some of you are right in the middle of it. In the middle of this Christmas season, sometimes, I mean, just because we're in a holiday season doesn't mean your troubles go on holiday, right? In fact, many times, it's amplified during this time. 
A lot of times the stresses are, 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 are off the charts for people and there's family problems and there's struggles or you miss people that you've lost in your life. And I mean, this is a hard time of year for a lot of people. And, and Peter writes this book to encourage us. And I want to encourage you as we start heading in this fifth chapter. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me. And we're going to start working through this chapter and we'll wrap it up by the end of this month, okay? But, but this was written by this everyday guy, Peter. And he was this awesome man of God. He was one of the closest friends of Jesus. He walked with Jesus for three years, every single day, spending intimate time with him. And not only was he a disciple, he was a friend. And and as he's spending time with Jesus, here's what we also know. Peter had some baggage. Peter had some history of some failures. We know that Peter had some major mess-ups, which again, we all can relate to this guy and uh, in so many different ways. But Peter learned from his failures. And now Peter is trying to take some of the things that he's learned from the failures that he had in his past, and he's trying to apply them to these people who are also in the midst of possible failure. And man, if we're, we're honest, we would say it can get hard to follow Jesus at times. Whenever things get tough, it can be hard to follow Jesus in this messed up world. And so often, because the world is broken, bad things can happen to good people. And in the middle of that, you know, as your pastors, our job is this, is to lead you to those still waters. Our job is to, is to not entertain you, okay? Our job is to be sure that when, not if, you go through the hardships in your life that, that you are that you are firm in your faith, that you have a foundation to build your life upon, right? Because here is what we know, and this is what Peter gets at, that when a Christ follower stands firm in his faith, he stands out. When you stand firm, you stand out. That's a point we've been coming to week after week. This past week, I was reading my Bible and, and, and just, you know, having my own personal quiet time, and I came across this passage in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 25, and it says this, When the storms of life come, the wicked are whirled away, but the godly has a lasting foundation. What's your foundation? Do you have a foundation that your life is built upon? And now Peter is going to do this. He's he's getting these believers to stand firm, and now he's going to begin to speak into the life of some leaders who are in their church. By the way, these leaders were also suffering. They were also going through hardship. They had a lot of people that were watching them in the process. Remember, when we go through difficulties, we can begin to lash out on others. We can begin to take it out upon others and have that ripple effect. And now Peter is going to speak into the life of these these church leaders, and he's going to give us a bit of a profile of what a church leader should look like. So let's begin to just take a look in chapter 5, verse 1, okay? And he says, he starts off with, and now. That's also translating therefore, which connects it to the passage before. It's all flowing together here. It's not chapter 4 and it's over, and then chapter 5, there were no chapters and verses. Everything's flowing together. In light of the suffering that he was encouraging these last people who were in suffering to stand firm, he says, and now, a word to you who are elders in the churches. All right, this, this is, he's going to say, I'm going to exhort you. I'm going to come alongside you. It's this word parakalo, to come alongside. And that's what Peter's doing. A word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. 
And I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for, that's poimenete, that's shepherd, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. That translates literally shepherd the flock of God. Shepherd the flock of God. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown a never, of, of never-ending glory and honor. There's a reward for faithfulness. In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time. Some of us need to hear that today. All right? At the right time means you and I, we're going to have to trust God's timing. At the right time, he will lift you up in honor. God will lift you up. Let's pray. Lord. I'm going to ask you this morning just to speak, Lord, to us through your word as you so desire to do that you would humble our hearts to receive it today. Father, we, we, want, to, we want to be still in your presence and we want to know you. So, Father, today, those who are weary, I pray that you would anchor their hearts in this truth of your word today. In Jesus' good name, I pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Well, you can clearly see that Peter is using an analogy in this of shepherding sheep. And this is so powerful whenever you consider the conversation that Jesus had with Peter after he had failed him. They were walking on the beach together in John, or in that area, the vicinity on the Sea of Galilee. In John chapter 21, remember Peter had denied Jesus three times. And now he's coming to Peter and he's saying, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. What does he tell him to do? Do you remember? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Second time. Says that that he was like, Lord, you know. You know that I love you. Take care of my lambs. Third time. He says, Peter was hurt. He knew what the Lord was doing here. And he said, said, do you love me, Peter? And then he said, feed my sheep. And now Peter, at this point, as he's writing this letter, is doing just that. He's doing the thing that Jesus called him to do. He's feeding the sheep, the flock of God. But what I love about this was that he's also now, and this is powerful when you're a leader, he's multiplying his influence. He's he's raising up other leaders to do the very same thing. Jesus poured into Peter. Peter is now pouring into these leaders, who these leaders should be pouring into others. There needs to be this raising up of leaders, and this is what's happening Peter is raising them up to to shepherd and to feed and care for this flock that had been entrusted to their care. Now, likely, for most of us, we can kind of catch the gist of what this analogy is, the picture Peter is painting here, but most of us probably do not have much experience working as a shepherd. Anybody in here been a shepherd? Anybody? Okay, few. That's awesome. Um, But most of us have not 
So now those who have raised their hands, you get to come teach. I'm teasing, all right? But uh, you could teach us better probably. But here is the thing. Some of us have grown up in the country. I didn't. But many of you grew up in the country. Maybe you've worked with livestock, and that's great. But but most of us don't have that experience of knowing kind of the real in-depth part of what this kind of nature of this word picture that that Jesus is painting here. I mean, the closest I've really been to, to sheep, so to speak, is maybe in a petting zoo. Or maybe whenever uh, I was walking through the barns at the Fort Worth Stock Show, okay? And I saw sheep in there and I thought, wow, they're beautiful and they've been all fluffed out and all that, right? Okay? And this analogy is used, though, of shepherding and sheep all throughout the scriptures. Think of it. Psalm 23, Psalm 100, John 10.10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Hebrews 13 speaks about shepherding God's people in this passage, of course, as well. And it, it really resonates with people who, who lived in an agricultural setting. I mean, they really got this terminology that was being used and the metaphor that's used. But for some of us, it doesn't quite connect. I mean, we kind of get it, but we don't totally get it. And so uh, here's the thing. Jesus is called the great shepherd. He's called the chief shepherd. He's called in another passage, the good shepherd. And if that is who Jesus is, and if that is what Jesus does, who does that make us? Can you say, okay, that's who we are. We are the sheep. You've heard us say before, we are sheeple. That is what we are. Now, sheep, just for the record, is an animal that is mentioned more than any other animal in all of the scriptures. Over 200 times, sheep are mentioned. Dogs are mentioned, amazingly, 44 different times. House cats are mentioned exactly zero times in God's word. You need to know that. You cannot find cat in the Bible except for maybe when we get to chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, where, G, where he talks about that Satan is walking around like a roaring lion. Okay, so you can directly see the connection between cats and Satan. I'm just saying, all right? Now, I know that's poor exegesis in God's word, but, uh, but anyhow. Um, but you can't find that. But sheep are in there all over the place, and we are sheep. And, and you, you, here's the thing. That, that's, that's bad news, okay? I've been waiting to tell that all week, okay? But, but, but here's the thing. Why is that bad news? Because you should know that sheep are not the brightest bulb on the Christmas tree, all right? And here is what we begin to know about this. To, to, I mean, think about sheep a little bit. You, if you go to a circus, you never see a trained sheep or anything like this. You see elephants or donkeys or, or dogs or lions. I mean, they even train fleas, okay? But you never see a, a trick sheep in, in a circus because they're a little bit dense. In fact, the only way to make a sheep play dead is to shoot it, and that trick only works one time, okay? And so then you're done with that trick. But I just need to say this. With all the love of Jesus, we, like sheep, can be a little dense. So turn to the person next to you and say, you're a little dense. Let them know, okay? All right? Some of you enjoyed that far too much. Aren't you glad to church? You came to church today. The preacher is calling me stupid. But remember this. I am a sheep with you. I am also a sheep. Now, let me give you some common characteristics of sheep, and this maybe will help this passage connect a little bit more. Sheep are, if you're taking some notes, they're easily lost. In fact, there's a verse in Isaiah 53 that says, all we like sheep have what? Gone astray. 
the, the New Testament, Jesus talks about the story of the lost sheep. It's incredibly common for sheep to kind of walk off from the flock of the shepherd's fold and for a shepherd to have to go retrieve them. They have a terrible sense of direction. They're not like, you know, like a, a, a dog and even a cat can kind of find its way back to the house, right? Well, they don't really have that ability to navigate well. And so they get easily lost and think about it, we can get easily lost as well. We, we try all kinds of ways to navigate and we struggle. Here's another thing about them, they're defenseless. They're defenseless. This is uh, it's interesting to think about. One philosophy professor said, tongue in cheek, that sheep are, are good evidence against the theory of evolution because there's no way that sheep could have ever survived that process. Survival of the fittest, they are not. When you think about them, you can think about almost every animal and they have some form of defense. But when you look at a sheep, I mean, think, some animals have fangs, some will have horns, some will kick the fire out of you, some will sting you, some will just blend into their environment so you can't see them. Some are really fast and can just get away. Sheep, no fangs, they're slow, fluffy, white, big cotton balls in a green pasture. They don't, they can't hide well, right? You see them, they, and sheep can't do anything. They're, I mean, they're, they're vicious, look at them. I think we have a picture of one, I mean, that's vicious. They will cute you to death. You're paralyzed by their cuteness, right? Okay, isn't he smiling? I mean, he's smiling, I think he's smiling. Football teams do not use sheep as a mascot. It's bulldogs, fans, hawks, eagles, fierce, right, when you're talking about animals. Nobody is the fighting fluffy sheep. It, it doesn't work, right? You don't have a guard sheep to protect your house. You never see a sign that says, beware of lambs. You don't see this, right? They're docile, timid creatures, extremely vulnerable to predators, correct? Okay, here's another thing we know about them. They are stubborn. They're stubborn. In fact, I read that they will walk between two rocks. They'll get lodged in. They're not smart enough to go in reverse. They will keep trying to go in the same direction until somebody tries to take them out of that direction. They'll keep trying to go forward, becoming even more vulnerable to predators as they get more stuck. They just keep trying to make something work that isn't going to work. Hmm, sound familiar? Stubborn. Here's another one. Four. They're filthy. Filthy. And you say, but they're so white and fluffy. That dude has been power washed, okay? B but here's the thing. They're, they, they smell. They're, they're filthy. They don't have the ability to clean themselves. Even cats can do this thing. You know what I'm saying? And do that ungodly thing where they flip their leg up straight behind their backs. I don't even know what that is, but they clean themselves, okay? And, but, but, Sheep cannot do that. They require somebody to do the cleaning for them. They're filthy because their wool produces lanolin, which is this greasy, sticky kind of stuff. So when they go through whatever they're going through, everything sticks to them and it makes them filthy. Sound familiar, right? I mean, God knew what he was talking about when he was equating us with sheep. They're fearful. They're fearful. They are easily panicked and timid and they stampede. Why? Because they realize they're at the bottom of the food chain. The only thing lower is grass. And it's because it won't bite back. Okay? And so they, they're fearful. And I could keep going on and on about some of the parallels with sheep and us. But here is the point. Sheep need a good shepherd in order to thrive. 
They need a good shepherd. And yet Peter addresses the people of God in chapter 5 as a flock of sheep. You need to understand that he's not doing that to put anyone down. He's not trying to be rude. The point that Peter is making in this passage, is, and, and in so many other passages that we read in Scripture about sheep and shepherds, we are so much like sheep, we need the care of a shepherd. And without protection, without the care of a good, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, we are also incredibly vulnerable. You need a shepherd in your life. Now what we see that is so practical in this passage that Peter is going to begin to talk about is God has done something that is really practical for us. He has provided and he has appointed to some of his care. He's appointed under shepherds to give his care to his sheep. He has provided that. And Peter is one of those under-shepherds. And he's appealing to other under-shepherds to care and to lead these people who are hurting. To care for them and to love them and to shepherd them and to lead them to the great shepherd. He says back in verse 2, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. And so Peter begins to give us this profile of what a good shepherd begins to, to do and what he looks like keeping in in mind, and it should go without saying if you're writing something down, that a good under-shepherd should look like the good shepherd. Amen? That, 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 and that's for all of us, but, but a pastor, a shepherd should, should emulate Christ. What is a godly under-shepherd supposed to look like? Well, Peter uses some key words to understand, and he's going to use three key words to describe the functions of an under-shepherd. He uses the word elders. By the way, and I don't have time to get into this today, whenever elders is used, it's never singular, it's plural. What that should insinuate to us and say to us is there is a plurality of leadership to be a plurality of leadership in churches. Okay, It's not just one man or one person who is elevated above everyone else. No, there is a plurality of shared leadership. Okay, and, uh, and, and, and that's to provide accountability. That's for practicality. That's for the overall health of those who are shepherding because shepherding can be challenging. And it can be tiring. And you need others to share with you in this, okay? And so this is what he's doing. He's, he's, he's pointing out that there should be a plurality of leadership. Now, here's what really stood out to me this week that I want to point out to you. Peter is bringing this word to these people who are hurting, and he's bringing it with such powerful humility. Peter could have pulled out some serious rank upon these pastors and upon these people. You know, he was Peter. Think about this. But he didn't. He didn't boast about his apostleship. He calls himself, what? A fellow elder. One who is coming alongside these other elders. And he's saying, he doesn't try to come off as superior. He doesn't come off and say, I, Peter, the rock. The great apostle. He doesn't do this. time in Peter's ministry, he most likely was famous. He had... He was an incredible preacher. God had used him in massive ways. When he preached, it said that there was a mega church that was born. 3,000 people got saved that day. God used Peter to work miracles. Only one other person had walked on water besides Jesus, and it was Peter. You see what I'm saying? Peter did some amazing things that God did through him. 
Peter, what do we see, was so secure in who he was in Christ, he didn't need to put on a display of his greatness to get people to follow him. He didn't need to command it. He wasn't a dictator. He's a leader, but he leads in humility. He leads with a humble heart. I want us all to hear this today. He didn't act like a celebrity. Amen? He didn't act like a celebrity. He was a shepherd. He had a shepherd's heart. And he's shepherding these shepherds to shepherd the people of God. Right? He was always among the people. Peter was, was, wasn't, now think, wasn't always humble. Peter had struggled with pride, but he had grown to be like Jesus. And now he uses some words. He uses some words. And I'm going to give you a couple of Greek words here, okay? And you don't have to write these down. But just so you understand, there's different descriptions, three different descriptions for one person. He uses pres, presbuteros. Now, this is a word for elder. It refers to someone who is mature. They're often older. They possess life wisdom, okay? It's not always about how old a person is because you could be older and you could be very immature. It speaks of spiritual maturity, but it also can be used as a term that does speak of an older person, okay? It's a term that was used in the, and borrowed from the Old Testament, brought into the New Testament. You remember when Moses was shepherding the people of God, and he was trying to, to do it all by himself, and his father-in-law came and said, what are you doing? This isn't good for you. This isn't good for the people of God. And what did he do? He raised up elders who shared the burden with him. Okay, so presbyteros is where we get our word presbyter, presbyterian. The second word is episkopos. This word is, is about the management part of it. It's an overseer. It's where we get our word episcopal, right? It's a bishop. This is what this person is. And the third description is, is the word poimenete. And it comes from, now that's the, that's the verb form of this, but the noun would be poimain, and that would be a shepherd. Now this means to shepherd, to provide care for, right? So you have three terms describing one person, presbuteros, episkopos, and poimenete. And, and why is this? What Peter is getting at, something to write down. An elder describes his maturity. A bishop describes his responsibility in overseeing and watching over. Pastor Shepherd describes his ministry and his heart, all right? And so here's what, this, you won't have time to write this down, but here's something to think about. A pastor or an elder, a shepherd's function is to provide leadership, it's to provide and give care to, and, and what is a shepherd's main role? It's to feed the flock of God, to feed them, to be, to be strong on their own. Now think about this for a moment. Sheep are not driven, they are led. You lead sheep. And a shepherd is to lead them to living water, the living water of Jesus. He's to lead them to the green pastures where God's word is found. He doesn't force them to drink. Think about this. He takes them to where they can get a drink for themselves. He doesn't cram food into their mouths. He leads them to a place where they that's, that's, that's you and that's also me, where we can begin to feed ourselves. You see what I'm saying? You, you've gotta, you've, it's up to you if you're going to feed upon the green pastures of God. 
He provides leadership for them, but it's up to the sheep of whether or not they're going to nourish themselves with God's word and hydrate themselves properly with the living water of Jesus. But let me get back to the condition of the under-shepherd. And I, I want to do this by looking more closely to Peter, a fellow shepherd. I believe that Peter was setting a powerful example of, of, of what spiritual growth should look like in a person. When we, when we pick up in these verses here in chapter 5, we start to pick up on some of the depth of the, of the nature of Peter's own spiritual development, his own growth that he sees now in his life. From where he was whenever Jesus first called him. Do you remember when Jesus and and he was prideful, he was unfiltered, the things that he would say. Where is Peter now? Through brokenness that had happened in his life and the failures that Peter had experienced, Peter didn't stay the same. He grew and he was still growing and much of this came from the failures. It came from the mistakes. It came from some of his his own personal suffering, what this tells me is this, is that Peter was a man who was walking closely in relationship with Jesus. He was walking with Christ, and and now he was humble, and he was teachable. But how does that impact us here today? You want to be sure, whoever the shepherds are in your life, that they are walking closely with Jesus daily. No matter what their age is, that they are still growing, that they realize that they can grow. They are leaders, but they are humble. They can be teachable. They learn from others, and they're constantly learning from their own mistakes. They don't waste their pain. In fact, I would tell you this, they even leverage the messes that have happened in their lives to strengthen their message about the impact of the gospel and how God has changed them. Here's something to write down. A shepherd should have a growing relationship with Christ. Now you may say, Bart, that seems like that should just be a given. Well, it should be a given, but the reality is that there are many who get into this role of elder or shepherding, of, of, of being a shepherd, and for whatever reason, they stop growing. And they, don't, they, they, they think they've arrived. Or they think that they're impervious to failure and that they can't mess up. And they start trying to lead in their own strength. They start trying to to give wisdom through their own wisdom and their own power. They start thinking pridefully more about themselves and they start acting more like a celebrity than a shepherd. And there are so many failures that I have seen throughout the years as as a result of this where pastors have fallen into this trap that the enemy has set. Maybe this is why Peter is gonna say in the next verses, watch out for that roaring lion who's seeking whom he may devour. Let me just say this to you. Do you realize that the enemy wants to take your pastors and elders out? You need to be praying for us. We need you praying for us. Praying over us, covering our families in prayer because they themselves maybe have moved away for whatever reason from the good shepherd. And they're not staying close to the good shepherd. Listen, personal growth is so important because this is, we, we have to stay close to the good shepherd because he's the one who gives us vision for our own growth. He's the one who gives us vision for growth of the sheep that are entrusted to his care. And, and listen, if the shepherd is stagnating or he grows complacent, often you will find a church that has stagnated and grown complacent. 
But when a shepherd is, is staying close to the heart of God and he's growing, you'll find that, that the people are growing around him because he's going to challenge them and he's going to pour God's word, what God is doing in his heart, into them, into their hearts. A shepherd can't get to a place where they pridefully think that they have arrived, right? Where they have no vision for growth. They have no vision for the church that they lead. Let me just say it to you, I read, a, I read an illustration this week, I heard it this week, and, and, it, and it was a story about a man who was a passenger on a flight in California. He had a layover in Sacramento, okay, and, and he had a flight delay, and people were getting upset about how long they were being delayed. So the flight attendant, they're sitting on the plane, the flight attendant comes on, gets on the intercom, says, folks, we're going to be in this airport for, for a little while. So what we're going to do is we're going to let you disembark and go back into the terminal. You, you can re-embark whenever, uh, whenever we call you back, but be listening. Stay close, but we want to let you stretch your legs a little bit. And so everybody gets up off the plane, and they start going all except for one man. This one man stayed in his seat, and he just stayed right there. This man was a blind man. His C&I dog was there on the floor next to him, staying there. Now, evidently, the pilot of this plane, this guy flew this, uh, flew a lot, and the pilot of this plane saw him there and came over and, and called his name. He said, Keith, he said, we're going to be here for a little while. He said, do you want to get up? And Keith said, no, I think I'm just going to stay here if that's okay with you guys. He said, sure. He said, but my dog would like to get up. And so the pilot said, I got that. I'll take your dog. And so now I want you to imagine you are a person who is on that plane out in the terminal and you see your pilot come walking down the terminal with a C&I dog. And, and the pilot, for fun, put his sunglasses on. That would be your response, right? And, and that was, many who saw this, that was their response. Was the dog flying the plane? What's going on? What would you have thought? Well, a lot of them went to the counter to switch flights. Why? It's simple. They had no desire to entrust their lives to a man that they perceived did not have the vision to fly. Here's the point. Leaders who have no vision for their own personal and spiritual growth, who aren't growing spiritually, who have no vision for cultivating their own personal walk with God, who have no vision for their personal development and spiritual development, they have no business flying God's plane filled with God's people. He needs to be able to see spiritually. He can see. He needs to be able to fly God's plane. Now listen, he's not perfect. He's a man. He's not perfect, but he's not, he's not living as a, as, a, in, as a perfect person or in perfectionism. But he has vision, and he's humble before the Lord. And there are many who have stopped growing. They've lost vision. That they, they have gone into a place of spiritual blindness. We see far too many casualties of pastors in the ministry who crash and burn. And somewhere along the way, they've gotten off track spiritually themselves. And I don't say this to, to judge in any kind of way because I've, I've had my own struggles throughout my ministry. And I've been very transparent about those things. But I want to say this, that when a spiritual leader begins to drift in his relationship with God and his heart begins to grow cold, he often leaves a wake of spiritual destruction behind him. How do you know this, Bart? Because early on in my Christian experience, in my Christian experience before I was ever a pastor, I was caught up in the destructive wake of at least three pastors in my life. And, and I believe they all started off on track 
they started off on the right path. Somewhere along the way, they got off track. They, gave, they became prideful, and, and they thought they were above failure, and they made failures. Here's something, and I was deeply hurt in that whole process, deeply hurt. Here's something good to write down. Shepherds who don't stay close to the great shepherd often wound the sheep that they are leading. My heart hurts deeply today still from those wounds in my past as I thought about them this week. And I thought about those men. And I thought about the good things that they brought into my life. But I also thought about some of the destruction that came because somewhere along the way they got off track. And it hurts my heart. And I've said this before, that the, the deepest wounds spiritually that I carry have been wounds from my past with shepherds who got off track. And I sadly, I, I, I know this to be true because I know that some of you who are here today, you have deep pastor wounds. You've been wounded. You have scars from places and people where that should not have happened to you. And here's what I say to all of us. We need the Lord's healing in our lives. Amen. All of us do. You've heard me say it before that it's not only a miracle of God that I am a pastor today, it is a miracle of God that I am even in church today because some of the wounds were so deep. Or I questioned a lot of things, but, but God taught me so much in all of that mess that I want to tell you that it's made me into the man that I am today. And not a perfect man, but a man who wants to be real with you, who wants to be authentic. A man who wants this church to be the real thing. And we're not perfect, but we want to be real. I, I want to I show you where God rebukes shepherds often. Look at what he says. He says, what sorrow awaits the leaders of my people, the shepherds of my sheep, for they have destroyed and scattered the very ones they were expected to care for, says the Lord. Now I will pour out my judgment on you for the evil you have done to them. That is a sobering verse for me as a pastor. Look at this one, Ezekiel. Then this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, prophesy against the, what does it say? Shepherds, the leaders of Israel. Give them this message from the sovereign Lord. What sorrow awaits you shepherds who feed yourselves instead of your flocks. Shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep? You drink the milk, wear the wool, and butcher, butcher the best animals, but you let your flocks starve. You have not taken care of the weak. You have not tended the sick or bound up the injured. You have not gone looking for those who have wandered away or who are lost. Instead, you have ruled them with harshness and cruelty. So my sheep have been scattered without a shepherd, and they are easy prey for any wild animal. They have wandered through all the mountains and all the hills across the face of the earth, yet no one has gone to search for them. Again, this doesn't mean that a shepherd is going to be perfect. He will make mistakes, but with these shepherds, something happened to the heart. They moved away from the good shepherd. We're not called to perfection, but we are called to be passionate in our relationship with God. We can infer from these passages what a good shepherd is supposed to be doing. We can, we can also see God confront the actions of of bad shepherds and bad shepherding. And this was a pattern that emerged in the leaders of Israel. And, and they lost their vision to see people who were hurting. They lost their vision to, to see people who were broken. And instead of shepherding them, they judged them. And they were harsh with them. And then Jesus came. And it says in Matthew 9, 
when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Do you see the difference in the heart? He's broken over them. He hurts for them. A good shepherd who is staying connected to the uh, to the to the or a shepherd staying connected to the good shepherd has the ability to see the brokenness of people. He understands his own brokenness. He sees the lostness of, of the community that he's in, and he doesn't judge it, he hurts for it. Like Jesus, he's moved to do something about it because his heart is still sensitive. Now listen again to what Peter says to these leaders who had been hurt, who, who, who people, uh, he, they had hurt people all around him. He says, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. That's God's flock. Watch over it, not willingly, not grudgingly. Uh, watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but what you are eager to, uh, I can't read, sorry. But because you are eager to serve God, don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. Let me roll these off quickly because we got to go. The heart of a good shepherd, this is what it looks like. He realizes that the church is not his, but it's God's. It's the flock of God, not the flock of Bart. He also realizes it's a huge privilege. It's been entrusted to your care. Secondly, he serves out of passion, not out of a sense of obligation. When I started feeling I was serving out of a sense of obligation, I had to take a break. And I needed to go sit at the refining center with the good shepherd and let him fill my heart up again. Thirdly, he serves for what he can give, not for what he can get. He's not greedy. He doesn't love money. He's not deceptive and manipulating people for his financial gain. He leads Fourthly, by example, not by domination. He's an overseer, not an overlord. And, the, and Peter had an example as Jesus washed feet, correct? Right? He was given that example. And I can say so much more about this. Shepherds are called to lead sheep, feed sheep God's word, lead them to places as he leads them to be closer to the great shepherd. Now, in closing, you may say, well, that's great for those of you, Bart, who are called to be shepherds. This doesn't really apply much to me. Here's what I, should, I would say to you, okay? Number one, you need shepherds in your life. Leadership in the church should be important to you because as a shepherd is healthy and your shepherds are healthy, the church is often healthy. Okay, so you, you, it should be important to you, right? Here's also, also what I want you to think about, and, and it's pertinent for you here today, because you may not be called to the office of elder or pastor, but you are called to have godly influence upon those that God has put around you and to shepherd people around you. Write this down. God calls you to shepherd people who are within your influence. You shepherd them. Let me ask you, are you a parent? Shepherd. Are, are you a business owner? Shepherd. Are you a manager? You shepherd people, right? Like Jesus did. Do you lead a life group? You're a shepherd. We need more life group shepherds because our church and the flock is getting bigger. We need help. Do you teach a class? You're a shepherd. School teacher? Shepherding kids. Here's the deal. You may say, well, that doesn't apply to any of If there is anybody in your life who is struggling in any kind of way, 
And you who are in Christ, you are called to be a shepherd to them. You're called them to lead them to Jesus by your example and by your lifestyle and by your love, right? You are called. And here's what I'll say in this closing part. Folks, this community needs EVC to be a church full of shepherds. Because when I look out on this community and on our culture, I see sheep without shepherds. And it ought to break our hearts. Jesus was moved with compassion. Last word. We all must keep our eyes on the chief, the great, the good shepherd who never lets us go and never lets us down that God taught me whenever I had some shepherds who failed around me was that oftentimes I elevated them to a place of godlike status in my life. And when they failed, I was devastated and I was rocked in my faith. And what God taught me, there was a time, I was, I was ready to walk away and God was like, are you going to worship me or are you going to worship him? And I realized I need to get my eyes on the good shepherd. The way we're going to close this morning is our team's going to come back up. So I want to invite them to come on up now. As we pray, I want to just give you this opportunity right now. There's a passage of scripture that's going to come up on the screen. It's this 23rd Psalm. And up on the screen, this is what I want to give you, this opportunity. I I want to lead you to where the still waters of Jesus is. You don't need me this morning. You need the good shepherd. So are you hurting this morning? Come to Jesus, the good shepherd. Some of you have wounds. Let the good shepherd heal you this morning. Spiritual wounds, emotional wounds, physical wounds. Let the good shepherd love you right now. Some of you, you need some guidance. You don't know what your next steps. You know that that's what a shepherd says. He wants to guide you. You need to come to him right now. Some of you, you've been that sheep who has wandered off. And you know that you've wandered. And he's been pursuing you and he wants you to come home to him. So as these guys lead us in this song in a minute, I want you just to read this 23rd Psalm and just let the good shepherd just minister to your heart right now.